Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Acts chapter 6. You can open to two places really, Acts chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 17. Acts chapter 6, Joshua chapter 17, and I've entitled our Bible study today, Faithfulness Leads to Open Doors. Faithfulness Leads to Open Doors. You know, we were looking at the qualities of the person that God uses. We were studying in our mini-series the seven primary spiritual gifts that God has given to His church, and it, it gets us excited to think about how God would want to use us, the how God will use us, that our lives matter to God, that He wants it to expand His kingdom, He wants to see people get saved, and He chooses to use us to be a part of the process. And you know, Jesus, serving Jesus is never done apart from Jesus. I know it's a simple statement, but it needs to be said. Serving Him can never really be done apart from Him apart from an abiding relationship with him, apart from what we would call fellowship, koinonia, oneness. It's not by our might and it's not by our power or our smarts or our wisdom or some book that we read. It is by his spirit, the Bible says, saith the Lord. And God created, not, created us not just to save us, but to have fellowship with him. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be a channel of his love and mercy and grace into a world that desperately needs it. He wants you to understand that you're the salt and the light in a very dark, decaying world. Anything less than that is a lower state of living. You're not living at the level that God has for you and not growing from grace to grace, going from glory to glory. And our weakness is always seen our daily weakness, our weekly, our monthly weakness, the weakness you're experiencing right now, the, the lack of intimacy with the Lord, the lack of abiding, it always comes from daily fellowship. It's a lack of a daily fellowship with them. It's a lack of pressing into the things of God. And, and I love this section of the book of Acts. It's such a dynamic time in the early church. And they're at a state where they're in fellowship with the Lord. They're in fellowship with all that he wants to do, and they're under attack. I love now verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. It says, The word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, to say that God was moving mightily in the early church would be a major understatement. I mean, God is moving in an amazing way here in the first few weeks and months of the early church. And as we're studying through the book of Acts, God is on the move throughout the, but these fundamental early stages are amazingly dynamic. And there's great attack. It says here that the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Why? Well, the reason why is that God used the leaders of the church to address a significant problem. Now, there were a couple problems in the beginning. The first one really arose with Ananias and Sapphira. 
as they came to the apostles giving of their offerings. Really, let's go back. Let's go back to what's really happening. The Holy Spirit is moving in such a powerful way that the early church is thinking, what can I give? What can I give? What can I give? And they're selling everything that they have and they're bringing it to the early fledgling church and saying, here, we want to help the poor. We want to help the hurting. We want to help. And then one of the men were highlighted, Barnabas. He he sells his property and he brings it to the apostles. Nobody told them to do it. It wasn't asked. It was just the movement and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And and he gives everything to the early church. Well, this inspired a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible says that they too sold a piece of property and they brought the proceeds to the church. Now, if they didn't tell anybody everybody would think it would be just like Barnabas. But you'll remember when we study it, they didn't bring all the proceeds to the church. They only brought half. They brought half and said that they brought it all. But the, but the Holy Spirit would have none of that. The Holy Spirit revealed it. Peter, Peter spoke to them, exhorted them. They experienced judgment, unfortunately. So here in the early church, there's giving, giving, giving. And then... By the time you get to the widows, things changed. And you know, a couple of commentators I was reading kind of highlight this, what was the bigger problem in this early stage of the church? Was it Ananias and Sapphira and hypocrisy? Or was it this issue with the widows? Now, on a quick survey, you may say, well, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy, look how God judged it. But I would suggest to you that the, prob- the bigger problem in the early church was this issue with the widows. It had the potential of destroying the church because something fundamentally changed. They went from, you know, the the widows, there was a concern. There there was a distribution of the resources. There was a helping of widows, just like the Bible says. And so the Hellenistic widows, those that were speaking Greek, they received resources. And the Hebrew widows, those that spoke Hebrew, they received help. But the problem was, is when they compared themselves when they compared themselves, they, they felt like they were being neglected. And perhaps to some degree there was some neglect. But the issue was is they got upset. They, they, they started to murmur and complain. And this was, had brought great potential and temptation for the whole church to get caught up in it. And what changed fundamentally? I don't want you to forget this. They went from a season of what can I give, what can I give, what can I give, to now being in a season, I haven't gotten enough. And that's a big change. Where you start out saying, I'm going to serve. I'm going to give everything that I have. I'm going to give myself to the Lord. And then something changes. You're like, you know what? I don't have enough. Why do you have more than me? Why isn't this? Or, or, or like, you know, again, back to the topic when I was mentioning earlier. Maybe you're here looking for a church. And you're, you're trying to find a place spiritually where you can raise your family and grow and be discipled. So you walk in the doors. And your mindset, whether you say it or not, is, you know, what does this church have for me? And I apologize for changing my voice. You may not say it like that. But that, that's the, hey, what do you have for me? What, what are you going to do for me, Ed? What's this church going to do for me? What do you have for my family? Let me just answer the question in case if we didn't answer in all the literature we give. We have nothing for your family. Nothing. I mean, we're a very simple church. We teach the Bible. We sing together. We hope the Holy Spirit. And we want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. But we don't think that way here. We're not sitting around going, what can we get with this family? And what can we do for them? And how can we? That's not our approach to ministry. 
So when we have things here, you know, things for singles, things for men, things for women, it's in a response to the need to disciple you. But let's say, well, Ed, I'm going to come here because you have a men's ministry. Well, I don't know if it's going to be here next week or two weeks from now. We don't know what the Lord's going to do. And so when you come into a fellowship thinking, what do you have for me? You're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You're setting yourself up for great difficulties because no, there, there is no perfect church except this one. There's no perfect, no, not even this one. Seriously, the moment I showed up, imperfection. It, it's no, there is no perfect church. There's no church that's going to meet all your needs, and I'll tell you why. Jesus Christ solely can meet all the needs in your life. Not a pastor, not a church, not a movement, not a community. And that's where the early church is here. They're still in such an infancy, but the enemy of the souls. You know, we have a threefold enemy. The world system, our flesh, our old sinful habits, and the devil himself. And they're just constantly pounding, constantly, never ending in your life. And if the enemy of our souls can't, distract, can't destroy you, he'll distract you. And you'll just be distracted your whole life, never really doing anything for the Lord. And he does it like this. Situ the, the situation of caring for the widows was an important one. But it had potential and it revealed hearts. It's like, what do you mean you didn't get enough? There they are with something in their hands that was given to them from the church. And they look at it and say, it's not enough. And that's just a prevailing thought in this consumer-driven culture that we've been raised in. I mean, this is the water we swim in. I mean, you may be so used to that consumer-driven thought of creating a need, and now, you know, you don't even need it, but they create the want, and, and it's like you're just so going from thing to thing, and nothing satisfies you because nothing can satisfy you or me. And I love this with the early church. Why is the Word of God spreading and why is the number of disciples multiplied greatly? Because the apostles solved the problem in the spirit. They didn't leave the word of God. They didn't leave their role, but they raised up these men to take care of this practical need. I also want you to see verse 7. This isn't like a church growth verse. And I realize I may be only speaking to pastors and leaders and elders today, but, but like church growth doesn't come because you go to a seminar. And church growth doesn't come because you read a book somewhere and they said, hey, do this and all people will show up. Now, now, I can, I, let me just say, there are methodologies and there are ways of doing things where you could fill seats in a room, no doubt. Uh, we could fill seats in this room and add services in a, just a month, no problem. You know how we would do it? One of the ways we would do it is we'd buy a BMW and we would put on, we would put advertisements on television and on the radio and say, come on this day to this address and we have free raffle tickets and you can win a BMW. The place will be packed. I want, what's my number? What's my number? What's my number? You can fill chairs, but that's not discipleship. You can have rooms filled, but that doesn't mean the Lord's in it. So yeah, you could buy a book. If you do this, everybody will show up. Yeah, that's probably true. You can't create church growth. No leader, no pastor can create church growth. I mean, if you believe the Bible, this is what the Bible says. Jesus said, I will Build my church. If you think it's your church, then you're going to try to build it. But if you are part of what Jesus is doing, he'll take care of that. And, and if he wants to build numerically, great. That's what's happening in the early church. 
But you know what God is always doing? He's building internally, always. He's always working on the inside. There is church growth here, but it comes from the Lord. It's his work. And you'll see mathematics all throughout the scriptures used to describe God's dealing with the church. Sometimes he adds, sometimes he subtracts. Here you see he's multiplying, and it's all God's doing. It's his church. Not only that, notice in verse 7 at the end, a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This is significant. This is significant because these are the hard-hearted religious people. It could very well be men that cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus that are getting saved right now. These could be, although they started out genuine, they lived for three years knowing about Jesus, hearing his teachings, listening, listening to the stories, the true stories of his healings and resistance, resistance. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. Hard-hearted, bam, just at the time that the Lord wants to work, Priests are getting saved. I mean, this is amazing what God's doing. Just in one verse, that could have been undone by a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of covetousness, murmuring and complaining. I mean, division destroys all the time. Now, with the mathematics, addition, subtraction, multiplication, I'm sure you've heard pastors before talk about blessed subtraction. And almost always they talk about difficult people leaving and it's blessed subtraction. And, and, and I, I want today, I want to give you a different angle on that phrase. Let me just say, if you're a difficult person today, if you're a difficult person in the church, if you're a difficult person in this church, it is not God's desire nor ours for you to be subtracted. That's not our desire. Let me tell you what God's desire is. It's not that you be a blessed subtraction, but that you repent and change. That's God's heart for you. We don't want to just see you walk out and be a trouble to someone else. You're not, that's not a blessed subtraction. What a, what a blessed subtraction would be is that you change and you are a different man and a different woman fully committed to following Jesus Christ in the life of this church. That's God's will for you. Hey, it doesn't always happen. People do leave. You know, there, there, are, you know, there are people that are, I think it was Pastor Greg Laurie that said, there are people that, that are a blessing when they come and they show up and there are others that are a blessing when they go and that happens. But God's desire for you is not for you to be so hard-hearted and resistant. And neither for me as a pastor. We want to see you changed. We want to see your life changed. We want to see your marriage restored. We want to see your prodigals come home. We want to see your attitude about, well, complaining and murmuring, just stop. And start building the kingdom instead of tearing one another down. But here's the other angle I want to give you. There is a blessed subtraction that you and I should embrace, but it's personal. It's a subtraction of our attitudes and our changes. Like God wants to do a work on the inside. Things need to go. Things need to go. That's an important for you to consider today. God wants to do the same thing that he's doing in the early church in your life right now. He wants you to grow, and it can happen fast, and it can happen powerfully. He wants to add to your spiritual growth. He wants to multiply your spiritual growth, but he also wants to clear things out. If you're ready and willing, God is ready and willing to clear things out of your life that are hindering you and holding you back from progress, holding you back from victory.
holding you back from what God really wants to do, which reminded me of Joshua. So would you turn with me, Joshua chapter 17, Joshua chapter 17. Some of you are looking at your clock and going, Ed, are we really going to finish the chapter? Yes. Be patient with me. Joshua chapter 17. The children of Israel are taking the land. They are finally walking in the promises of God. They have fought the battles under the leadership of Joshua, and they're getting their allotments. They're getting the places where they're going to raise their families, and they're going to build, and they're going to grow, and they're going to live in the land. And here in Joshua 17, there's a little pause because there is a hesitancy. The children of Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, they are, they are hesitant. And so notice with me in verse 14 of Joshua chapter 17. It says, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place out for yourself there, in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. Verse 16. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Bethshan and the towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. And Joseph, Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. And although it is wooded, you shall cut it down to its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong." Now, I want you to tie this together with the widows for a moment in the early church because here they are standing on the promises of God. They've just come through all the warfare, all the victories. They're starting to get the land. They're hearing all the promises that they heard from their fathers and their grandfathers. This is it. And their response, not enough. This isn't enough. Or you could even say not good enough, not big enough, not the best location. And it has great potential to do big damage to the nation of Israel, let alone damage to their own hearts. And I'm not going to develop this in depth. I've already done it in another Bible study, but I want to consider a few things just by way of reminder, because God wants to clear some things out in your life. He wants to change your heart and your attitude, the way you view things. First of all, if you're there today, then this is what God is saying to you. Number one, Joshua tells them, develop what you have. Be happy with what you have today. Develop it. That's what Joshua says. You know, just go up and take the land. Take it. It's yours. If you are a great people, then don't ask for more. But take care. Be faithful. That's the New Testament principle. Be faithful. Be faithful with what you have. That's important. That's what God has for you. There's a popular phrase today. You may have heard it. It really encompasses this principle. And if you've heard it, finish it with me. Bloom where you're planted. So if you never heard that before, now you know. Wherever you're planted, like the psalm today, man, bear fruit there. Be faithful where you are. Don't always, don't live your whole life wondering what's up, what's up ahead, what's up ahead. Why does she, why does he? No, be faithful. God rewards faithfulness. Secondly, he tells them, in verse 18, 
He says, you know what? I will give you a little bit extra, but you're going to have to go up and clear out the, the wooded areas. You see that? The mountain country shall be yours, and it's wooded. You shall cut it down. So he tells them to take care of the upper areas and cut down and make it inhabitable. Now, a couple of things on this. Number one, in the Bible, mountaintops are often associated with closeness and intimacy with God. We'll even use that phrase when we go do retreats. You know, we take a men's retreat or a women's retreat or a marriage retreat and we'll singles retreat. We'll go down, especially when we go to Vail or Breckenridge, and we're literally going to the mountains for a time away. And we'll talk about it. You have that mountaintop experience, so encouraging, so wonderful. And then you come down the mountain into the valleys of reality, mountaintops. Mountaintops are very important. They speak of your closeness to God. They, they speak of your worship life. They speak of how God wants to draw you near to himself. And so that leads me to the question, and it begs the question, doesn't it? How's your mountaintop lately? How is your life of devotion in the Lord? Everything that is difficult in your life, every problem you're facing, every distance you feel from God is directly related to your mountaintop. It's directly related to whether you even have a devotional life with him, whether you even have a prayer life, whether you even care about developing your relationship with God. You know, relationships only, human relationships, relationships with God, they only develop two ways, with two ingredients. Same thing for all of us, time and testing, time and testing. The more time we spend together, the more things we go through together and work out together, the stronger our relationship goes. And it's the same with God. The more time you spend with him, the more issues you work out together with him, the more intimate you become as a follower of Christ, as a son or a daughter of the king. I mean, think about, think about the things that happen in the Bible. I, I mean, if you're not taking time to, to read your word every day, you're not taking time to pray on a regular basis, just a life of prayer, a life in the word, you're missing out on a lot of things that happen at the mountaintop. I mean, I think of Moses, he received the law and the mountaintop. I mean, that is the primary way where God gave his direction. And you're missing out hearing God's word if you're not meeting him there in the word. I think of Elijah. Elijah battled on the mountaintop. And there are just some battles that need to be fought between you and the Lord. Like with you and the Lord, you got to fight those battles together. And you need to do that in your mountaintop, in your personal relationship with him. It was there that Jesus appeared on the mountaintop. That, remember when he turned, the Bible says that he transfigured and he became as white as snow where Peter, James, and John saw his glory. Some of you need a fresh look of the glory of God. And it can't happen. Like you know, if all the difficulties at work and the issues on I-25 and all the things that are happening in this world, it's just not gonna happen. It's just not gonna happen. You need to get alone with the Lord regularly. Not compulsively like, well, I have to do this because now I'm a Christian. That, that's not relationship. Relationship is, what do you have for me today, Lord? I know, I don't even know what today's going to bring, but I know I can't face anything without hearing from you, without meeting with you. I think of the disciples, they drew near to God. They drew near up on a mountaintop in prayer. It was a powerful time. Listen, you are bombarded. I, I just, you got you to hear me out. Like you, you, please, I beg you, listen to me. Like you, you, you are not going to get a developed walk with Jesus 
on your phone all day scrolling through other people's lives. It's not going to happen. Scroll, 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 scroll. I mean, hours and hours and hours of all, whether it's politics, whether it's other people's lives, whether it's like, like whatever it is that's socially engineering our minds, not going to get you the intimacy that you need with Christ. I'm not, and don't misunderstand me, I'm not in any way saying that looking at pictures every once in a while, it's not that big a deal, but the, what do you think is going to happen in your life when you spend hours and hours and hours looking at all that stuff? It's going to affect you. Do we really believe that we're the exception to the biblical truth that what you sow is what you reap? Oh, that's for everyone else, not for me. And it is affecting the church. Do you really think when you're dabbling in pornography, that that's not going to jack your head up? Do you really believe that? Can you take pornography to your mountaintop and say, well, wait a minute, Lord, I'm going to have my Bible open here and my phone open to this junk over here. It doesn't make sense. You want to stay away from sin? Draw near to God. You can't take sin with you. (laughs) You can't. It's like, well, I'm going to go to devotions and sin. Nobody says that. Now, you might battle in your mind. You might have spiritual warfare. That's different. But no wonder you're into the stuff that you're in. And no wonder you haven't been on a mountaintop in a while. That's what Joshua says. He says, go up to the mountaintop. And then notice what he says. He says, you need to cut down the trees. Now jot this down. You can look at it later. But in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God gives instruction to the children of Israel on how to cut down trees. Here's what happened. You're going through the Word. You're reading through the Bible in a year. And you get to Deuteronomy. You're reading some stuff. In Leviticus, you're like, what is this all about? You know, how does this even apply to my life? But God is very specific on why he said things, when he said things. And in Deuteronomy 20, he gave the children of Israel instructions on how to inhabit the land. And very precise instructions how to deal with trees when they cut them down. He says this. He says in general, he says, If the trees bear fruit, don't cut them down. But the dead ones, the ones that have no fruit, cut them down, use them however you want. And that's a very important application for our lives. Because when you receive a strong word like this or exhortation, you can just kind of look back and see all bad, all bad, all bad. But when you go back to the mountaintop and you start clearing out the wood and carrying out the dead wood, I'm certain you will see areas of your life that were fruitful. It's not all lost. There are trees that have been fruitful. They might, they, you may not have enjoyed the fruit. You may not have shared the fruit, but there are. There are things in your life that have been fruitful, that God has used. Don't mess with, don't cut those down. Nurture them, fertilize them, take care of them. But the dead wood's got to go. It has just got to go. You will make no substantive improvement in your life unless you change. And you know the biblical language for change in the Bible is repentance. And repentance is closely connected, according to Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, with godly sorrow. And I mean, if you have no godly emotion over the condition of your life, then you're very far from repentance. It doesn't mean you're going to have to you know, work your way for 20 years to get there. It's just like, man, like Psalm 51, I have sinned against you and you alone, God. David dealt with his sin. Then he started to reconcile with the situations in his life. God wants to clear things out, just like the widows. He had to deal with the widow issue. He didn't get rid of the widows. He helped them. He didn't get rid of them. He didn't say, oh, blessed subtraction, see you later. No, he 
disciple them. He sent godly men into their lives, leaders, so that they might grow through this and the church might multiply. It's important that we pay attention to these things because the Lord wants to do a work. One more thing on this before we move on is I want you to notice that the places where they were going to inhabit, the enemy was still there. Did you notice that? The enemy's still there. I mean, they're mentioned right there in verse 15, the parasites and the giants. And then you get to the, the Joseph's like, wait a minute, the Canaanites are there. And notice in verse 16, mark that word, they dwell in the land. Because they never really did fully drive out the enemy. So the enemy is a squatter. The, the Canaanites dwell, they live there, and they have chariots of iron. It's mentioned again in verse 18. So when you're taking the direction you're receiving today and you're starting to make substantive change, you just got to realize there will be a fight for your spiritual progress. The enemy will not give up quickly. I mean, I think of it, I know it's silly, but just think of it in your backyard. You've had a squatter living there for two years in a tent. They're in your backyard. And for two years, you've never done, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. But then God awakens you and you're like, no, you cannot live in my backyard. Get out. And the dude's going to say, what do you mean? This is my backyard. I've been here for two years. And you're like, no, I pay the mortgage. But you haven't done anything for two years. And now the squatter that doesn't belong there starts to fight you. It's like, this is my house. This is my house. This is my house. And you're like, no, get out. And you got to get that tent, throw it out of there. You know, you might want to help them with a few dollars to find a place to live. That's fine. You want to be a nice Christian about it. But hey, when you're dealing with the enemy, you deal with the enemy. Get him out of your backyard. I don't care if he dwells there. You go take care of him. You drive him out, is what it says in verse 18. You, you, you can't live in a place of compromise. And he's fortified. If you've given the enemy room in your life for any amount of time, I want you to understand, he still has chariots. And he still has the armaments that are much greater than what you have. The human resources you have will never match the enemy. But you know the victory is yours in Christ. You don't need to take on the enemy hand-to-hand combat. You need to abide in Christ and he'll take care of your enemies. But you won't abide in Christ. You see how it all ties together unless you're at the mountaintop. Matter of fact, what's instructed here for this family is you, you need to live on the mountaintop. It can't be just a, an event where you, okay, you need to clear out everything so you can live up there. And I see what a beautiful picture for us. Church, we need to live on the mountaintop. There's going to be battles in the mountaintops. There are going to be battles in the valleys. But our lives must be consumed with the Lord. Okay, with all that in mind, come back to Acts chapter 6. Notice the very next verse. In verse 8, it says, And Stephen... Let's pause there for a second. Who is Stephen? Well, you know who Stephen is. Stephen was one of the table waiters. He was the guy we learn in verse 3 who had a good reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now we learn he's full of faith and power. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen, this is that Stephen. The man that just said, here I am, use me. Here, Here I am, I want to serve you wherever you want. Tell me what to do. I'm ready to do it. And he was assigned to take care of the problem with the widows. You could say he was assigned to wait the tables and serve them, make sure they had everything that they needed. Whatever he was asked, he was whatever he was asked, he did it. 
and his faithfulness in ministry, we will learn, open a tremendous door for him. His faithfulness to do what was before him opened a door. Why? Because there are no small responsibilities in the church. There is nothing too small for our attention and service as believers. As someone once said, and I quote, I have never seen a responsibility in the church that was too big for a man, but I have seen many men too big for God. And it's true. There is that hesitation at times by some to serve in what they view as seemingly insignificant things. But there are no insignificant things. I've, I've seen it so many times in the life of the church where there's a brother or sister, I want to be used greatly of the Lord, I want to be used greatly of the Lord, and you go, well, you know, why don't, why don't you, we come here early on Sundays, why don't you come and help us straighten out the chairs? I am not called to straighten chairs. They never say it that way, but in their hearts they do. I'm not called to, I'm, not, I, I'm called to teach. Okay, then while you're straightening chairs, teach yourself about humility. How about that? But there's a, a battle going on where somehow straightening chairs is insignificant. Let me tell you something. God is interested in straight chairs. Why? Because anything we do for him, we want to do with excellence. We want to give him our best. We want to do the best that we can with what we have. But it's more than straightened chairs, you know. The straightened chairs hold people. And God cares about people. And so that little touch of a straightened chair putting things in order are all to facilitate an environment where people can worship unhindered without distractions. God cares about chairs. He cares about trash. He cares about all the things that you might think. He cares about widows that are arguing with one another and causing a real big stink in the church. He cares. He loves widows. He wants them taken care of. And he wants them not arguing and not complaining and not murmuring. And so he raises up men and women that are full of the Holy Spirit and devoted to him so that we might be vessels to serve the precious people of the church. Nothing's below us. Nothing. There isn't anything below any one of us. God has called us to serve him. And the reward for faithfulness, like Stephen here, is more. Unfaithfulness, the reward for unfaithfulness is what you have is taken away from you. But the reward for faithfulness is more. Stephen gets more here because he served the widows faithfully. And he's going to have a tremendous open door where he's going to preach the gospel. He's going to be used in great ways. Stephen, when he stepped into serving the widows, had no idea that we would be reading about him until the Lord comes back. He wasn't doing it, well, you know, um, I'll get a page in the Bible if I do this. He wasn't doing it that way. He was serving the Lord with his best. And that's God's mandate upon us, that we give him our best and that we don't look at, well, that's insignificant and I'm not called to that. And really, I get, I get tired a little bit too. Like, I'm not called to that. Can, can, I just, can I just ask you, please, stop using spiritual language to make excuses for your bad behavior. You are called to serve the Lord. Doesn't matter what's next. We are called to serve the Lord. That, in here, out there, how about this one? Some of, some of you are going to be very uncomfortable, but you are called to serve the Lord at work. Take that. You're a messenger of the gospel at work. Oh, I kind of hate this place. I'm only here. Okay. Not real good servant. You're there to serve. You're there to serve your boss you don't like. You're there to serve the coworker you don't like. You are a messenger of the gospel. You are an ambassador of Christ. 
So give your best, church, because that's what God rewards. Like the early church, he's clearing things out, clearing things out, clearing things out. Why? Because it's going to get better. The church is going to go global very shortly. It's going to be glorious. And I feel the same thing in this season of our church. In different season of our church, I've taught through the book of Acts, verse by verse. This is my third time now. Where I pause the rest of the studies and I go, no, the church is at this place. This group, our church, we need to remember what God does and what he wants to do. But I can say in the previous two times, I haven't felt the anticipation that I feel this time that there is something ahead for the life of this church that will be glorious in the realm of building the kingdom. And some might go, well, what is it, Ed? I don't know yet. I don't have the Bible written like they, like, I don't know what the page, when I turn the page, it's still blank, it's still blank. I'm not sure yet, but I do know this. As God, we allow God to clear things out in our hearts, he'll reveal to us, he'll show us. We just follow him. That's it, we just follow him, see what he's doing. So here, you know, he is, Stephen's raised up and he's gonna be used greatly. The verse nine now. Then there arose some, mark that word, some, There are always some that want to make your life miserable. Amen? Have you met them yet? Let me say that again. There are always some that want to make your life miserable. Jeez, only like three people here have miserable situations. I'm going to give you one more chance. I don't want to hear people on the radio in their car louder than you. There are always some that want to make your life miserable. So, okay, so there's more than just the three of us. And you're making progress for the Lord. You're taking big steps of faith. You're doing things that no one else is doing. It's like, this is me. It's for me and my house. I'm going to serve the Lord. And then, boom, there are always some. Here they are. They came from the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, those from Cilicia. They started fighting. See that word? Fighting. You think the enemy's going to go without a fight? (laughs) No way. Not only that. They weren't able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke, verse 10. So now they're really ticked off because everything he's saying makes sense. It's biblical, and they can't resist it because the spirit of God is there. So then they ramp it up. They secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Interesting verbs that you see here. Let's just look at them again. Secretly induced, verse 11. Stirred up, verse 12. Came upon, seized, brought him, verse 13. Set up false witnesses. And that what's the end result? As they're looking at him, He's got this glory on his face like, his, like an angel. You can be sure that there are always some that want to disrupt the work of God in your life. There will always be some. And a lot of their tactics are found right here. Lies, deceit, getting people stirred up. 
You know, if I was teaching this to the kiddos in Sunday school or I'm teaching it to the junior high or high schoolers, I would paraphrase it a different way. And I would say something like this. And they weren't able to resist the wisdom and spirit of which he spoke. So then they secretly posted things on Twitter against him. And they stirred up people on Facebook to come against him with lies. And they got this thing that was doctored with Photoshop, a picture, and got it viral. So everybody's talking about what a bad person Stephen is. But it's all lies. It's not true. None of this is true in Stephen's life. Zero. And we need to walk in the Spirit so we can discern when lies and deceit come that want to cause division, they're like, no, these are all secrets. You wouldn't know unless the Holy Spirit revealed it. This is a secret. They, they secretly did this. Why? Because they're, they're fake. They want to present themselves as something. They're interested in what's, oh, look at me and what I look like. But inside there, Jesus said, they're dead men's bones. They look good on the outside, but they're filled with dead men's bones. So they talk about him behind his back and they're hiring these guys so they could be liars and setting it all up so the case goes against Stephen but even so, God affirms Stephen and says, no, this guy is filled with my spirit. He's full of my glory. Look at him. Look at him. Watch him. You'll see it's not true. With every great progress, there's always going to be resistance. And sometimes it's going to be lies. And sometimes it's going to be weird stuff. I mean, I have found over the years that the enemy really, really, really likes to attack things in your life that you value. You know, if you today would say, you know, I'm a very honest person. The enemy will send things that, that people will accuse you of being dishonest. And you know what it does? It gets you off your game. It's like now you're going to try to prove to everybody that you're honest. You already know you're honest, but it makes you uncomfortable and I'm going to fight for it. And then it doesn't matter. You're stuck because no matter what you say, one, you're trying to affirm the truth. They already think you're a liar. The other one is you're defending yourself. So if you, if you were really true, then you wouldn't defend yourself. It's no win. It's a no win situation. That's how the enemy works. He puts you into a corner. And there's no way out. And when you try to fight your way out, it just makes things look worse. And as our pastor taught us so many years, Pastor Chuck, he would tell us, hey, just let the Lord be your defender. You just stand there and do what God's called you to do. You just go forward. Let the Lord be your defender. Maybe the truth will come out in this lifetime, but I promise you, 100%, take it, take it from me on the authority of God's word. At the Bema seat and the judgment seat of Christ, the truth will come out. Because truth is truth, no matter what people say about it. You can't change the truth. You can't alter the truth. But everybody can have an opinion about the truth. But people's opinions about the truth are not the truth. Amen? So Stephen, faithful man filled with the Holy Spirit, good reputation. He's going to be used in an amazing way. So much so that we're reading about him 2,000 years later. Why? Because he was faithful. And that's the word of the Lord to you. Let him clear some things out. Offer them to him. Get back to your mountaintop. It's not, it's not a, a have to. Like, okay, I have to do my... No, it, it's, a, it's a get to. And I mean, if your devotional life is stalled, you know, I don't read the Bible. I don't like praying. Get a new version. Read it in a different version. Read it in a different way. Approach it in a different way. You know, if, if it's not working for you in the mornings, then, then start something at night. And if you're trying to pray at night and falling asleep, try it in the morning. You know, if it's something where you're lunchtime, you got an hour, go out to your car, turn it on, the air conditioning, or if it's snowing, the heat, and just seek the Lord in your car. Like, switch it up. Get rid of the excuses. Once God flips that switch in your life, once you just find the value and the joy of God speaking to you, you will never go back. 
God is going to speak. He has a word for you. He has an encouragement for you. He has so much available to you in this relationship. Go after it, church. Deal with it. Get the enemy out of your backyard. Get the enemy out of your front room. Get the enemy out of your... I mean, just declare it as unto the Lord. Enemy, devil, you have no place in this house. You have no place in this marriage. You have no place with my kids. You have no place in my mind. You have no place. Do it as unto the Lord. And watch God affirm it in your life. Because time is short. And the coming of the Lord is at hand. And the souls of men and women are at stake, church. And to me, I'm just so encouraged. Because Stephen, well, he's just like us. I mean, in so many ways. He's not some senior pastor, lead pastor, seminary trained, doctorate, master. He doesn't have any of that. He's just, he's not an elder. He's not a super spiritual saint. Doesn't even have a title. I guess if you gave him a title, he's the widow taker care of. I don't know. He didn't even have a title. Just clean the table, Stephen. All right. How many more tables are there? You know, that's it. That's what he's doing. Just taking care of the needs. And he was just a guy that wanted to help around the church. I can't, like if you want to serve the Lord, just be around. You'll see there'll be more than enough to do. And if you can't be on the property, then be around wherever you are. Just being present. There'll be so much more to do. So much. Be present with your kids. Be present with your wife. Be present in, the, in, in your singleness. Be present as the boss, the CEO, the lawyer, the doctor. Whatever you're doing, just be present. The Spirit of God is there ready to connect you. And He'll give you the words you need and the love you need. God wants to use you if you'll be open to Him and you clear things out. No, we don't want you to see you as a blessed subtraction where you walk out the door and take your problems to another church. I think what God's heart is, is that the blessed subtraction is actually inside of you. And some of your flesh and your pride and your arrogance and your rebellion and your hard-heartedness, that's reduced and cleared out. You know, I find that so many times the Holy Spirit is wanting to do that work in my heart. And so many times I just think the place that he calls me back to wasn't the day we moved here. Although that was glorious, you know, the beginning of this church. It, it, it wasn't the, the day that we packed up and moved. It wasn't the different jobs I had. You know where he calls me? He calls you and me to the same place. Back to the time as a new believer. Back to the time of holding nothing back. Back to the time where I wasn't a Bible scholar. I didn't even own a Bible. I just loved Jesus. And I couldn't buy a Bible until the Bible store opened. I didn't even have one. There was no phone in my hand. I could open up the Bible. Where Marie and I, we'd make our decisions as from the Lord. Boom, we don't, let's go. Wow, but what about, no, we didn't even do that. Like in those days. Yeah, sometimes it was scary. But man, it was fun. And I don't want to become some professional guy. It's like, well, I know exactly. I have to change my voice too. I know exactly what you should do. I have no idea. Let's go back to the beginning and see what the Lord wants to do. Let's repent, remember from where we have fallen and repent and then repeat the first works. That's where it's at. That where it's at is that simple, humble dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And all that he's added and all that he's done, he gets all the glory for the great things he has done. It's not us. Never will be, never was, and never will be. God is at work in your life. So yield to him today. So Father, I pray as we look at Stephen's life, that he might stir us. I know chapter 7, it's a big, long sermon that could easily be overlooked, but it's not. 
It is a man being used by you, the, the Spirit of God, using the Word of God in the people of God. And that's what you're doing right now. So stir us up, encourage us, help us to respond to the exhortations, the beggings of a pastor, that we might grow in your grace and run with all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.